Engineers Talk, Riding Jenkins with Alec Nenasher. Welcome to the Mastering Embedded Systems Podcast, Episode 27. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Mastering Embedded Systems Podcast. I am Georg Lohrer, and this is the podcast about analyzing and solving your challenges within the embedded systems realm. I tell you the know-how and teach you the ways to succeed and overcome your daily obstacles and problems in embedded work. This is the first episode of the new Mastering Embedded Systems podcast, concentrating more on the technical aspects of embedded systems. As mentioned in episode 26, this podcast will be released on demand. But now, what's up today? Today, I'm happy to introduce you another presenter of the Embedded Testing Conference in Munich. See also episode 23 to listen to Vasilis Rizopoulos and his DevOps principles. I got acquainted with Alek Nenashev already in the first minutes of the conference. We are sitting aside of each other. He was working on his laptop for some presentation. Curious as I am, I asked him whether he will also present. That was the starting of a great opportunity for all of us. Alek is a 27-year-old engineer from St. Petersburg in Russia. Although he has started as a hardware engineer, he is mainly engaged on the software side. With his presentation, Integrating Jenkins with Verification Flows of Embedded Systems, he has introduced himself as a Jenkins specialist. He is currently working for CloudBees in Neufchâtel in Switzerland. Although I was in touch with Hudson and later on with Jenkins, I never got that deep inside of it. In contrary, Alec has become responsible for testing hardware in an automatized way already in 2008. He got in touch with Jenkins from the very beginning. Later, he provided several plugins before he got selected as a core developer for Jenkins. Meanwhile, Jenkins has more than 100 plugins and it has undergone a redefinition from a pure continuous integration tool towards a more general, more framework-like automation server last year or end of last year, 2015. The time we recorded this interview, Alec was staying in St. Petersburg. He has just finalized his PhD thesis and was in a quite relaxed mood. In our discussion, we are highlighting the way of Jenkins' development. We stress the chances and challenges of Jenkins, why someone should use it, and the struggles you might run into. We also talk about the newest changes in Jenkins' self-understanding, and Alec provides an outview what we can expect from the next major release. Jenkins 2.0 will cover mainly architectural needs, especially from user's interface perspective, which have been recognized and accumulated during the last years. As regular, you will find all further details in the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com episode 27, or for this particular episode also at embeddedsuccess.com Jenkins. And now, stay tuned and be inspired. Aliak, I have joined your presentation at Embedded Testing Conference in Munich three months ago. You were referring about integrating Jenkins with verification flows of embedded systems. For our listeners outside who might not have heard or experienced Jenkins, what is Jenkins? Yeah, yeah. actually, uh, almost everybody knows Jenkins because Jenkins is a popular tool for automation. 
So, um, if uh, we take an example, um, if somebody wants to set up uh, an automatic uh, build, for example, uh, he has a periodic uh, script run. Uh, very basic approach is to use cron jobs uh, on your Linux system or use similar approach on Windows. But when you want to somehow centralize it, you set up a web service which provides you an interface uh, with uh, different configurations and options. And Jenkins is a kind of uh, such thing. Many people think that Jenkins is a continuous integration tool, but uh, honestly, I disagree with this point. And I consider Jenkins as a uh, general purpose automation tool which can be adjusted for almost any use case, including uh, continuous integration, continuous delivery, DevOps, or all other modern worlds. Um, uh, Jenkins uh, is one of the most popular systems in the world of uh, this kind. Um, it's open source. Uh, it uh, has um, many usage examples and many integrations. Uh, so actually, many companies uh, use it, especially in hardware embedded. When you have no integration with common tools and you need a generic framework which would allow to uh, integrate your development flows uh, into a centralized system. In such case, Jenkins is the first choice because it's uh, fully open, it's extensible, and you can just take it and hug for your own needs. Uh, there are other examples of such uh, automation systems like uh, Bamboo, Team City, Team Foundation Server from Microsoft, etc. But they mostly focus uh, software development. Regarding Jenkins, obviously it, uh, it has been developed for software engineering as well, but uh, um, it's generic enough to be used uh, in other areas. Oh, that sounds really interesting. And... Um... I have you have uh, before the interview you have you have sent me several links um, in in the chat about that one and when I saw also what I what I'm always stumbling over is in Jenkins I see this logo of Mr Jenkins this picture uh, I was always always considering how the how do you have come to this picture of of Jenkins do you have an idea. Uh, yes, I have. Um, actually, I'm working with Jenkins community for about eight years, so I've been involved in many changes in the community. So Jenkins started in uh, 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 2005 uh, at Sun Microsystems. It has been developed by Koski Kawaguchi as uh, Hudson. Hudson is another pretty popular uh, or continuous integration system. Uh, so Hudson uh, became popular. Um, it uh, got many awards, uh, and uh, um, in uh, 28, uh, it got uh, Duke's uh, Cho Choice Award, which is one of the most uh, uh, famous awards in uh, this area. Um, but yes, uh, as you probably know, at some point, uh, Sun Microsystems has been acquired by Oracle. It happened uh, about five years ago. At, uh, and Oracle changed the uh, approaches to open source projects. Actually, it happens with, happened with uh, many projects um, I used uh, to contribute to OpenSpark. So I've suffered a lot from it. Um, yeah, but uh, regarding uh, Jenkins, 
um, there was a conflict between uh, the company and the open source community. Um, so Oracle said that we are going to develop uh, Jenkins as we want and uh, you should follow us. Uh, the community said no. Uh, there were long-long uh, discussions about the trademark, etc. And fa finally, Oracle prohibited the usage of Hudson trademark uh, uh, for the open source project. So the project has been renamed to Jenkins. Um, regarding the logo, uh, original logo Hudson was a butler. So, uh, you know, Mrs. Hudson, etc. And yeah, uh, I'm not sure why uh, Hudson had such logo, but uh, when we started uh, migrating to Jenkins, uh, we selected a similar logo. So we decided that uh, Jenkins is newer uh, than Hudson, that uh, uh, it should be a pretty young butler. Um, yeah, uh, it should Power, be powerful enough and the logo should be hackable for local events. So finally, uh, the current logo has been proposed. Um, actually, this logo is not uh, a very common approach for open source projects, but yeah, there are many artworks uh, related to, to Jenkins logo for different cases. Mm -hmm. Interesting, especially uh, I always I only remember that uh, that in also in I was in some project which was using Hudson at that time, and then suddenly uh, it, I don't know whether it was suddenly, but on my side it was uh, I remarked suddenly that there was a renaming. There was something like the guys told me, yeah, it's no longer Hudson, it's now Jenkins, and I said um, okay, uh, but I didn't know the the back the back uh, the backyard information about that, but. That that's interesting that it was a, a, a legal issue in that part, that Oracle was prohibiting to further using Hudson as an open source uh, indication or open source name. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, Hudson still exists and uh, uh, it's still been used by particular projects. Uh, now it's much less popular uh, compared to Jenkins, but uh, yeah, the project still exists. Uh, they released a new version about six months ago, um, but uh, there is not so much contributors and uh, the number of commits is um, about 50 times less than in Jenkins community. Yeah, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That. Yeah. Okay. That's that's good. What about what about you here? You already mentioned how you have come first time into contact with Jenkins, but what are you currently doing or meanwhile doing for Jenkins? Um, yeah. Probably it uh, makes sense to explain my background a bit because actually uh, I'm not a software developer in common means. Uh, I started as a hardware engineer, as uh, as embedded systems engineer. So I worked for companies like Intel, Synopsys, and several oil field services companies. And um, I've started uh, working more than 10 years ago. So all my previous background is related to embedded. And uh, yes, uh, when I started working in this area, I've joined an uh, outsourcing company which provided services to big uh, oil field uh, service companies. And uh, one of our projects uh, required uh, setup uh, of uh, uh, continuous integration and uh, integration tests. Uh, of our subsystem with uh, the environment and uh, the uh, company requested to use Hudson. It uh, was in uh, 
Yeah, it uh, was about uh, uh, eight years ago. So uh, this uh, was the first time I started working with Hudson. And uh, after that, I was responsible for all kinds of uh, automation for our projects. Uh, when I joined Intel, I was uh, responsible for continuous integration setup and for continuous integration infrastructure. So I've started working more on automation uh, and uh, um yeah, I was uh, really involved in hardware projects, but I had to uh, work on automated testing, etc. And obviously, it required a high utilization of Jenkins. At some point, we needed uh, specific plugins uh, to drive integrations with our development tools. So I started uh, developing plugins for Jenkins uh, and uh, customizing uh, it for our needs. So it was a great experience. And at some point, I started also contributing to open source plugins. Because when you work with open source, you always suffer from different issues. Uh, you want to fix them. And in the case of open source, uh, you have an opportunity to fix it because everybody can just go to, the, to GitHub and uh, contribute his fix. So I've started doing it and... Um, um, I contributed to many plugins, mostly in security-related area, but also for electronic design automation. Unfortunately, the most of plugins are closed source now from this area, but yeah, I've developed much of them. So that, at was, some... that was still for Hudson? Uh, for okay. Hudson and for Jenkins. Ah, okay. uh, mm -hmm. So it lasted for several years. Okay, I see. Yeah. At, uh, at some point, um, I was elected to be a member of Jenkins core team. Uh, so I contributed much to the community. I was visible there. I contributed to infrastructure. And so finally, they decided that I'm good enough to be a member of uh, the main team uh, leading uh, Jenkins development and uh, developing uh, features for Jenkins core. So it happened about three years ago, and for the last three years, uh, I'm uh, um, almost a full-time member of Jenkins community. Uh, currently, I work for CloudBees organization, which provides enterprise solutions based on Jenkins. Uh, so we develop uh, our internal stuff for Jenkins, but we also contribute much to open source, and uh, we try to drive uh, the community Obviously, there is a commercial interest, but the most of engineers in the company are also members of open source community, and we follow this culture. So there are pretty much of activities. Now I'm a member of core and security teams, so I contribute much to incoming changes, to backporting of issues, to long-time supported releases, etc., uh, so uh, it's a pretty interesting work, and of course, I like Jenkins, and uh, yeah, I contribute uh, almost everywhere because um, I try to review incoming pull requests from new contributors and try to help them. So Jenkins has uh, more than uh, 100 plugins now, and uh, you have, have to frequently switch uh, between different uh, source codes, uh, different approaches. So it's a very interesting work, but yeah, it's a bit challenging. 
Yeah, I, th I think so. I can imagine here. So it, it becomes something like I only have seen at, at really big um, uh, open source projects where we, where we will have some kind of uh, lieutenants or lieutenants uh, available who are organizing uh, as some kind of filters uh, the incoming fluid of, 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 of contributions. So that's uh, that, that that sounds similar. So if you get getting grow um, bigger and bigger, and that also leads me to the question that, besides the fact that is, uh, that Jenkins has become uh, a major instance for solutions in continuous delivery and continuous integration, uh, and what do you mean? What do you think are the main reasons for the immense success of Jenkins in that area? Yeah. Um, uh... So actually, uh, Jenkins um, beats other systems because it's a framework. So it can be extended and adapted for almost any use case. Um, actually, it's, uh, uh, so it's definitely an advantage of Jenkins. And actually, it's also a disadvantage uh, due to hard adoption and due to uh, difficult uh, uh, learning curve uh, then. Another advantage is that Jenkins is open source, so you can see what's going into the system. You can adapt it for your needs, and you can always track what happens and what's going to happen within several months in order to plan your infrastructure. And um, um, there are also two use cases from a user perspective. Firstly, uh, Jenkins is very simple for the beginner because you just install the system. It can be done within several minutes. And then you see a web interface where you can click several checkboxes. For example, run this build periodically. You click on it and you see the standard cron syntax, which is uh, well known for almost every engineer. You set up something there. Then you select an option to build a, a shell script enter uh, the script you want, um, run the build, and everything works. So it's uh, very easy to start using Jenkins, and um, um, it explains why it has been adopted in small teams. But regarding big teams, uh, there is another advantage. Um, Jenkins is uh, scalable out of the box. Uh, so um, now almost every continuous integration system is scalable, but uh, 10 years ago, it uh, wasn't true. But uh, Jenkins uh, was initially developed uh, as a system which can uh, be integrated with remote executors. In Jenkins, we call them nodes. So you can set up a system on multiple computers, uh, merge them into a single automation system. Um, and uh, in the case of our array, it's very useful because when you have hardware peripherals, when you have... Uh, custom tools, it's very difficult uh, to set up everything on a single machine. So Jenkins was designed as a was designed as an automation cluster. So uh, admins uh, liked it, uh, and uh, it became very popular for local clusters kind of consistent of several machines. Because you can set up this cluster in several minutes. You don't need to install specialized agents on each machine. Jenkins is able to connect automatically to hosts, set up the environment for itself, and to run builds. And you don't need to care about class loading. You don't need to care about plugin distribution across these machines. Everything is being handled by the system out of the box. Um, in uh, 2015s, now in 2016s, 
um, it's not a wonder. But uh, 10 years ago, it was a very, very new technology and uh, it was widely adopted. Initially, it sounds for me like some kind of Swiss army knife for everything which is uh, needed for building and developing and uh, testing all that stuff. And yeah, that's why we call it a framework. Um, actually, not we, I call it a framework. Uh, actually, we modified the Jenkins website uh, several weeks ago. Before that, uh, Jenkins uh, was advertised as a continuous integration system. But now we finally switched to a more generic term called automation server or something like that. It can be used for everything. And uh, for example, I know use cases where Jenkins has been used uh, for home automation. For example, at my home, I use Jenkins uh, on uh, ARM-based server in order to connect uh, to different uh, uh, controllers within my house and to manage them. There are also use cases uh, for automated accounting uh, or for uh, common stuff like continuous delivery or DevOps. So Jenkins can be used everywhere and uh, Jenkins is being used everywhere, um, including areas outside software engineering. And this is great. What do you have done in your house with using Jenkins for connecting to some external devices? <laughs> give, us, give us some clue about that. Okay, uh, so firstly, I have uh, water meters and electricity meters at my home. So I, using Jenkins, I collect uh, the data from these systems and uh, uh, publish this data to Elasticsearch and then uh, uh, analyze the data if I need it. Obviously, uh, in embedded world, there are SCADA systems for such purpose, but uh, yeah. With Jenkins, I am able to easily integrate with uh, other needs. So I have an integrated database which collects uh, information from different sources, including uh, my home, my to-dos, uh, and uh, etc. So I have a centralized database which stores uh, this information and which I can process, which uh, reminds me about missing items or which sends uh, me notifications if something happens. For example, uh, if uh, I forgot to uh, close uh, uh, the water and go outside the home, uh, I you know, get a notification within 15 minutes that something happens. Nobody uh, is at home, uh, the light is turned off, but uh, the water is flowing, what's happening, etc. So it was just a hacking. It's not uh, very useful really, but yeah. I've tried and, and it works well. Jenkins also manages automated heating in my home, etc. So it's a big system. <laughs> uh, and obviously I use my home Jenkins to build and test my uh, local projects and my plugins, which I developed for, which I developed for Jenkins. That's a real Swiss army knife. You always find different ways to how to use it. And that's, that's marvelous. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So, so you say you use it and you stuff it into Elasticsearch, but you don't use Logstash or Kibana at the very end then? I use them. Ah, okay. So um, I use Logstash to process uh, data, um, uh, of course. And yeah, Kibana is a great engine for visualizing the data. Actually, Kibana, yeah, 
the most obvious choice for me because um, at our company we also use uh, Kibana and Elasticsearch uh, to provide cloud-based Jenkins analytics tool, this um, wide solution for um, centralized um, monitoring of uh, distributed Jenkins instances uh, uh, which has been provided by CloudBees. So I'm pretty familiar with these uh, technologies and I also try to reuse uh, them in my home because they are open source as well. Amazing. I I was proposing this combination of Elasticsearch, Logstash and Kibana several times in some projects. However, they were not, let's say, recognized. It was simply, oh, what's that? So it's it's uh, these different tools. It's it's no it's no some kind of monolithic tool. You only st stuff all the data inside and you get the, the fancy pictures out at the at the other end. So it's 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 separated. But it's great to use it at home. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So all these tools have been developed by a single company. So they are integrated uh, well between each other. Uh, there is a problem with backward compatibility of these tools because uh, uh, both Elastic, Kibana, etc. have been released frequently and there are major releases breaking uh, the backward compatibility. Uh, so uh, at some point you have to update uh, one system, everything breaks around, you have to fix it, etc. So, yeah, it's uh, pretty common for open source projects, but yeah, in general, uh, these tools are very useful. Yeah, it, I, but this listens. Oh, this sounds like some kind of uh, everlasting work. So you have every time have you have to do something if there is an update, and then you have to look for all these details, and you cannot get stuck on an old version because you get outdated that horribly fast. Yeah, actually, regarding Jenkins, it was one of the main problems for us. So, mm, if you work at big uh, hardware and embedded companies, uh, then you have uh, multiple projects integrated with each other. You have uh, mission-critical mission uh, tests, for example, uh, endurance tests, etc., which are run for a long time and which are critical for the final tape-out of your product. So, if something breaks, you lose time and uh, you need a very, very stable system. Um, in the case of Jenkins, uh, Jenkins is backward compatible. So when you update Jenkins, uh, you can rely that uh, everything uh, at least uh, starts up. And actually, Jenkins still supports many Hudson plugins. For example, I used to be a maintainer of Perforce plugin for Jenkins. Uh, it has been written for Hudson, and uh, yeah, it still works in Jenkins. Um, but yeah, when uh, you need uh, to develop a stable system from an open source project, uh, commonly you have to create your custom fork and to backport uh, fixes there because it's very difficult uh, to perform major updates and uh, to test changes. In Jenkins uh, project, uh, we release uh, a new Jenkins version every week. And these versions contain bug fixes, uh, new features, etc. And actually, I wouldn't say that uh, these releases are very stable because uh, there are many changes there and uh, it's hard to provide uh, good test coverages for in all plugins. Um, but uh, yes, uh, um, to overcome this issue with Jenkins, we provide long-time supported releases, uh, which uh, have been released every three months uh, 
with backports, etc. But actually, it's also not enough uh, for um, uh, big companies. For example, at my previous company, we had a requirement to have one update uh, per uh, nine, not nine, 15 months. And uh, it was a max because otherwise we would uh, impact our uh, engineering teams. So we had to deploy our own custom fork of Jenkins to backport fixes there to maintain this fork uh, within the company. And actually with other open source tools, um, yeah, we had uh, to follow this approach. So it causes additional maintenance efforts, but... Um, it still allows to use open source product to contribute fixes back to the community and to get fixes from the community. So I still uh, think that such approach is positive. Yeah, but stability of open source projects is a very good question. Um, and it's very important to take it into account when you design a automation system based on open source components. Yeah, I think there might be also the questions or you might have faced with requests for or actions for for Jenkins. Jenkins might intentionally not be designed for. So what are, from your perspective, what are the biggest misunderstandings when using Jenkins? And what is Jenkins definitely not designed for? Is there something? Um, so like we discussed before, Jenkins is a Swiss knife. So technically it can be adapted for all use cases, but actually it means that uh, if you want to adapt Jenkins for this use case, you have to uh, somehow hack and implement it. Jenkins provides enough extension points, so there are almost 500 extension points in Jenkins project, including plugins. So this is a tremendous number, and you can extend almost everything, in queue, including build queues, uh, web layouts, uh, build steps, etc. So it's very flexible, but obviously Jenkins has a core and this core um, has architectural limitations. So the first major issue, uh, which I know is a limited scalability. Uh, and I need to explain what I mean. So technically Jenkins is a single master instance. So you have one master server and multiple slaves. These slaves take the workload. For example, if you run build script uh, with your makefile uh, or with your uh, EDA tool, uh, this script runs uh, elsewhere and uh, all the workload uh, happens there. But actually, when we talk about common Jenkins job, uh, job consists of many steps uh, like uh, builders, publishers, source control management, checkouts. There, there are also build wrappers allowing to stop the custom environment, etc. And um, the build is a complex process which has been orchestrated by uh, Jenkins Master. Uh, so Jenkins Master still performs much actions for any build. And actually, it also needs uh, to perform I.O. operations. So when you run a remote script, Jenkins displays your build log um, with all uh, standard outputs, standard errors, etc. Um, so it causes pretty high throughput uh, on the Jenkins master. So as a single instance, uh, Jenkins is limited. Um, it, for, I would say that uh, the limit for a single instance is uh, about 1,000 executors and about 1,000 parallel builds. 
this uh, number is pretty high, but uh, if we talk about uh, embedded systems development, you know, almost every hardware engineer and uh, embedded engineer likes simulators because they uh, improve the visibility of your development process and uh, visibility of your test. And actually, it also saves time on uh, hardware implementation, prototyping, etc. So they run simulators, they want to run massive tests, and it's a common case uh, when you need uh, um, uh, several thousands of CPU hours for a nightly build. So actually it means that you need uh, massive uh, computing power and uh, companies uh, use uh, computing grids like SunGrid Engine or LSF uh, to run these tests and they have much more than uh, 1K executors. Uh, so Jenkins uh, itself uh, is not uh, scalable for such amount, so you have uh, to uh, somehow scale Jenkins uh, or to integrate uh, Jenkins with computing grids. Regarding uh, the several, uh, the second approach, there are plugins allowing to run uh, Jenkins tasks on uh, SunGrid engine, on uh, LSF, and uh, on other stuff, and you can also use uh, CLI tools in order to run them and orchestrate these builds from Jenkins, so it can uh, be handled. But um, if you want to see a centralized system, because uh, when you use Jenkins and LSF, uh, there are pretty much integration issues. LSF is also unstable, so something fails, it's hard to diagnose. So the common approach is to have uh, all automation in a single system, uh, I mean mostly orchestration. And Jenkins can be scaled for such uh, um, uh, purpose. For example, uh, there are plugins like German, which allow to integrate multiple Jenkins masters into a single system. Uh, CloudBees also provides another tool called uh, Jenkins Operation Center. Uh, excuse me, CloudBees Jenkins Operation Center. And uh, actually, uh, it also provides you a single web interface, but actually there are multiple Jenkins masters behind and they uh, balance uh, the workload. So this is one of uh, possible approaches and one of the problem, but scalability still hits Jenkins. Um, Another problem is uh, long-running tasks. So Jenkins uh, is developed as a distributed system. So it has uh, remote uh, nodes, and it's a common case when you need a, sp a specific hardware peripheral, which is available somewhere on another continent, but uh, you still connect a node to Jenkins and uh, run something on this node. So uh, the installation uh, is commonly distributed. And when you work with distributed installation, you start suffering from network issues, from stability issues of particular components, etc. And Jenkins um, also suffers from it. So it's a remote communication layer. Uh, isn't uh, very robust against the remote calls. So when some something breaks, uh, the connection breaks, you lose the build, that's lose the data, and have to rerun it. There are plugins allowing to work around it and uh, to fix uh, these issues somehow. But um, yeah, in general, uh, it's uh, hard to stabilize your big instance and you spend much time to uh, set up it. Uh, so Jenkins isn't designed for these cases out of the box, but generally it's possible to work around it.
and, and uh, probably another case is uh, working with system level permissions. So when you want uh, to test something specific, for example, a driver on embedded Linux uh, uh, instance, or when you want to uh, test operating system itself, uh, it's uh, it becomes pretty hard to uh, deploy an executor there. Actually, uh, Jenkins nodes can be deployed everywhere uh, you have Java. So you can easily run uh, Jenkins slave node on ARM services, on embedded Linux, uh, even on Android, if you know to how how to do it. And um, actually, uh, when you start running such stops, you always suffer from uh, missing permissions from different behaviors between uh, common users and uh, headless accounts. Jenkins uh, mostly runs in headless mode if you don't perform user interface testing. So there are pretty much difficulties with such custom cases and such custom environments. Yeah, this, this kind of, um, let's say, restrictions or let more better limitations here at that point, which should be taken into account if you start with Jenkins are one perspective uh, or one aspect and we should should be taken in mind. So, um, I also have in mind if are there any kind of, let's say, critical situations or issues, not only for newcomers, but for everybody when using Jenkins and is there a way to, if there are any, uh, how to overcome them? Yeah, uh, this is a very popular question. For example, I've conducted a talk at St. Petersburg Jenkins meetup on December, and the main topic of uh, this talk was uh, Jenkins issues, uh, um, etc. So it was a Jenkins meetup, but we were talking about problems and uh, Jenkins weaknesses. I've sent you a link to this presentation. Actually, I have an English version. Yeah, so I'm going to summarize uh, main problems. So for the newcomer, uh, the first problem is a hard learning curve. Because when you start the Jenkins, okay, I've installed Jenkins, I've set up cron, I've set up a build script, and it took me five minutes to get a hello world running. Uh, then I start integrating uh, um, Jenkins uh, with my real build flow. I try to stop uh, source control management uh, based on Jenkins in order to use incremental checkouts to save some time to track changes uh, to uh, run builds on commits. Then I integrate report publishing in Jenkins uh, um, uh, build custom build steps. I try to somehow orchestrate uh, build parallelization. So, for example, if I have several projects requiring a license for a specific tool and I have only one license, or if I have only one dedicated FPGA board for this project, I need to somehow uh, dispatch the access of builds, etc. So there are many such uh, use cases which appear when uh, you start uh, using Jenkins for real projects. And it's really hard to uh, set up your first production level uh, uh, job for automation because you hit into uh, you need you go uh, googling for uh, possible solution. Um, uh, commonly, you are able to find it if you are working with software. But uh, regarding hardware and embedded systems, uh, there is not so much plugins. There are not so much. Uh, 
public activities on this front, unfortunately. So there is lack of documentation and you have to uh, try something uh, then uh, this doesn't work, you try another thing, it doesn't work as well, uh, you submit bugs, you don't get a response, etc. So this learning curve is uh, very, very difficult. Um, um, and uh, you spend much time to stop uh, basic things. Uh, but when you finally master Jenkins, uh, you can easily develop even complex flows uh, uh, within uh, uh, limited time. So at my previous companies, I was also a Jenkins consultant. Uh, so we had uh, many automation engineers. Our department had more than 200 engineers and uh, there were many test automation teams. And uh, they used our experience um, to stop uh, their own automation job. So I've seen how they suffer from all these usage issues. We have written much internal docs. I would say there were about uh, 100 of presentations available with recordings, etc. So it was a tremendous number of work in order to uh, simplify the work of uh, new users of Jenkins. But it's still a problem. And unfortunately, in uh, public domain, there is not so much information. Another problem of Jenkins is its uh, user experience. Not only missing documentation, etc., but its uh, user interface is very complex. So when you set up Jenkins, uh, it seems to be pretty simple. Uh, uh, se several checkboxes, uh, several dropdowns with potential actions, etc. But when you start installing plugins, uh, all of them contribute something to the web interface in order to be configurable, uh, etc. So at some point, uh, you see a big uh, uh, config. So, for example, we don't talk about uh, Jenkins system configuration. Uh, Jenkins admins is a administration is another topic. But as a user, when you create a new job, uh, you see uh, that uh, the default empty configuration takes uh, several pages of different checkboxes and uh, forms. Uh, you just say, no, I can don't understand where to click, etc. So it's a real problem. Uh, and um, unfortunately, it cannot be handled uh, so easily. In the community, we follow uh, two different directions. The first one is everything as code. So probably you uh, recall the talk from Vasilis at Embedded Testing Conference. Um, but in Jenkins, we also follow the same approach. We try to um, provide new plugins and new technologies on Jenkins, which allow to describe everything as a simple uh, scripts. Uh, so you can describe your build flow with a script, etc., without all these checkboxes. This is the first approach. But... Um, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, the most of uh, automation engineers uh, won't be able to write proper scripts, etc. According to my experience, uh, um, uh, the most of uh, test engineers uh, in big companies are not very capable of uh, writing uh, good uh, production level code, etc. Actually, it's not uh, their job. They uh, test applications, so they are not supposed to write a good code. 
The same problem with hardware engineers. They uh, write a good RTL, but uh, if you ask them to write a bash script or a Perl script, uh, you may get something working, but uh, the design may be horrible, uh, the script may be very unreliable, etc. So my statement is that uh, um, automation as code will never work standalone for tools like Jenkins. And actually, uh, the community also uh, agrees with it. So we develop uh, um, uh, pretty much new UI stuff. Um, currently, we are working on a Jenkins 2.0 initiative. Actually, we want to provide new Jenkins version uh, um, in uh, the middle of the, this year. And uh, in this uh, version, we focus on user experience, on UIs, and also on integrations with Jenkins. So we try to uh, uh, radically improve the documentation uh, available within Jenkins. We want to improve it, its UIs to make it uh, more useful for newcomers and for uh, developers. Uh, so hopefully this uh, problem will be somehow resolved. Yeah, but it's a very, very long way. Uh, but we have uh, made first steps uh, um, on the previous week, we have deployed a new version of uh, Jenkins website in order to rework the documentation to provide uh, new use cases, etc. For example, I'm assigned to create uh, new solution pages for hardware engineering, for embedded testing, for hardware peripherals, etc. So we had a long community meeting. Uh, we discussed what areas we want to cover and who could would be able to cover them. So we really try to address uh, use cases and to propose solutions for it. So it should happen soon. I'm not sure when, but yeah, the community is aware about uh, the documentation, about the user experience problem. So we try to fix it. So that's something that the users can expect for the new for the next years. That's uh, uh, where Jenkins is tending to go towards in the next year. So. That's yep. that are the details. Okay, yeah, I see. Uh, the Jenkins now, everybody understands that we need to go forward um, and we need to change something because Jenkins um, has been developed ten years ago. We have ten years of backward compatibility, and you may imagine uh, what it means from the scope of system architecture. So there are pretty much legacy stuff, pretty much uh, uh, outdated libraries we support as a custom fork, uh, and we cannot just go and update them because we break uh, the compatibility somewhere in plugins. Um, so uh, it uh, is there is a huge technical depth, and unfortunately, it impacts users as well because of the such technical depth also blocks web interface improvement. It uh, blocks. Uh, the development of new major features within the core. So uh, in Jenkins 2.0, we try to address these cases. We don't want uh, to break the backward compatibility much, actually, but uh, we are going to uh, deploy a new API deprecation engine, uh, which would allow us to continuously change Jenkins without uh, breaking the compatibility and without uh, breaking user instances. And 
Yeah, and uh, yes, there are all many activities on uh, Jenkins side in order to make it more useful, more robust against uh, system issues, etc. So since uh, the community has much more engineers now than it had two years ago, actually it's a reason of uh, good uh, advertisement of Jenkins community and also uh, it's been caused by uh, many enterprises coming to Jenkins uh, area, it's not Jenkins, to automation. So now the companies realize that uh, they need uh, automation, then uh, this that this automation is mission critical, so they are ready to invest in such tools. And actually, it means that there are enterprise companies like CloudBees, which provide solutions and which invest uh, uh, much into Jenkins. So now uh, the, the development process gets stabilized, and hopefully, we'll be able to um, push Jenkins forward and uh, to introduce much new features and uh, much changes in user experience. I, I think there is there was really a change in uh, in thinking during the last ten years. I, if if I look back, something like ten or fifteen years, there was even big projects were simply done by someone doing some com command line scripts and hacking it into. And there was maybe one or two persons who were calling these kind of scripts and building the and uh, building the uh, the uh, the software or building the binaries. And that was it. And meanwhile, there are complete frameworks as Jenkins at work. And it's also in the management, it, we have been become aware of that this kind of software for building software is not something that's, which runs out of the box, which is simply available and you simply have to enable it and, and switch it on and then things are going well. But you have to, you have to spend real capacity, you have to spend human power to, to let your systems be built your initial software which you are intended to go for. So that's a completely different understanding which, is, is, uh, which most of the companies have become aware of. Um, I would disagree that uh, the most of companies uh, now are aware about it. So um, actually it depends on the area we're talking about. If we talk about uh, common software engineering like uh, web services uh, and other such popular stuff, then uh, you may know that uh, all of these continuous integration activities started uh, more than 10 years ago. So when uh, Jenkins appeared, the Bamboo, uh, there was Cruise Control and other such systems. So it happened uh, more than 10 years ago. But uh, hardware and embedded areas always uh, go behind uh, this uh, uh, area in the scope of uh, development methodologies and uh, in the scope uh, of uh, uh, adoption of new tools. But on the other hand, uh, in hardware and embedded, we have to automate tests. If uh, we work on uh, uh, small applications, etc., uh, it's possible to perform manual testing and uh, to not to automatically test everything. But in case of hardware, the cost of mistake uh, makes us to automate uh, everything out of the box. So it's uh, not been even discussed. Uh, if you want to deliver a product, you have to automate testing. So for me, it was always strange that uh, this automation is being performed on legacy tools. 
And so I've started working for embedded companies more than 10 years ago. And in every company, I see the same situation. Um, uh, the automation uh, infrastructure is always uh, legacy. Um, they use cron jobs, they use uh, computing grids without external APIs, etc. And uh, they suffer a lot from it, but unfortunately, they don't even understand that they suffer from it because uh, they think uh, it's common to spend uh, several main days uh, to investigate the build logs, etc. But continuous integration isn't designed for it. Continuous integration is designed to uh, minimize uh, the issue discovery time and it provides everything for it, uh, like automatic builds, uh, log analysis, etc. And obviously Jenkins also provides all these tools. So when I think about the current state, I just go back uh, uh, to the software and it's uh, enough to predict what happens in hardware next. So probably we will start uh, talking much about continuous delivery within five years. Uh, we will start uh, uh, talking about private clouds within five years or something like that. So uh, it will be interesting. Unfortunately, software tools already provide uh, solutions which allow to solve our cases. But the only problem is how to integrate these solutions into uh, the legacy environment because uh, you cannot just migrate everything. It yeah. would cost too much. Yeah, that's slightly different. Uh, what Do you think that... Um, what what should this kind of of companies do to become more aware of the chances what uh, what Jenkins has to offer or any other tool has to offer if we are get stuck in that legacy environment? So the main problem of all uh, these systems uh, is integration of components. So uh, there was previous meetup with Jürgen uh, to your podcast, and actually I agree with many statements from this podcast. And I would say that integration of components is the main problem in any big company right now. Because uh, using legacy tools, you can develop develop a simple component. But when you start integrating these components, uh, everything blows up. It's common because there are uh, design issues, there are implementation uh, issues, and all interfaces uh, are being tested uh, with mocking uh, on the model levels, so actually engineers test uh, themselves, so they miss uh, many issues in specifications, etc. And when you start integrating them, uh, everything blows up. So for me, the main uh, interest uh, in continuous integration um, within uh, embedded companies is to perform continuous integration. So from the early stages of your product, uh, you want to integrate components between each other and see how they behave together. So uh, this is a part of continuous integration methodology. And uh, that's what we tried to introduce in many companies and uh, which worked really well in the scope of issues. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that all uh, hardware and embedded companies should be aware about it and they should invest into such testing. And um, yeah, I, they shouldn't blame uh, continuous integration systems uh, that something breaks. 
because uh, for us, uh, one of main problems was that uh, there is a bug in a product, for example, in a processor core. Uh, it appears on a, a test subsystem, including uh, one dozen components, uh, pretty much software, etc. Uh, automation system discovers this bug. You create it, uh, contact uh, uh, hardware engineers, uh, and they say that eh, everything works on our simulation. <laughs> yes. It's a bug uh, in your continuous integration tool. Go away. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this is uh, the main communication problem, and this is a problem of the mindset. When people understand that such integration is a real part of their product and the real part of their quality, then, uh, of course, these things are going to change. Now, when you work with uh, engineering teams, you always suffer from this ignorance. You also suffer from communications with uh, uh, quality assurance uh, teams who also think that the continuous integration is not required and actually they suspect that you're taking their job and uh, you're going to fire them. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, it's very debatable because any company needs uh, uh, verification teams, but yeah, the communications are very difficult because uh, many people do not understand what are you going to do and uh, do not understand why do you do it. Mm. I think there are also a, a good chance, as, as you just mentioned, this kind of if you introduce the, the Jenkins or any other tool belonging to that part, and uh, and you come into contact with all the, or let's say, the customers or the users of, of the Jenkins, you might run into critical situations, um, especially if you are responsible for that Jenkins part. Uh, how do you have experienced that? Do you have already run into some kind of, yeah, let's some, say this kind of war stories uh, if within Jenkins and how do you have tackled them? That might be of some interest too. Yeah, obviously I had pretty much uh, such issues um, on both organizational and technical front. Um, I'll try to cover several examples with both areas. So regarding technical area, the main problem um, I usually have is integration with uh, peripherals. Because when you have FPGA boards, when you have uh, uh, prototyping uh, devices with uh, pretty much peripherals, uh, you usually get into stability issues. And Jenkins is not an example just an exclusion. Uh, The most uh, difficult case for me was integrating uh, one of uh, our test framework uh, and my previous company. This framework uh, used uh, uh, many scripts uh, written in uh, Windows Batch and in Sigwin. Uh, It also interacted with uh, two boards uh, attached uh, to a computer in parallel and uh, there were were pretty much operations related to blast and verification of these boards, etc. So in Jenkins, it's uh, possible to set up it and it's pretty easy, but uh, then you end up with stability issues because uh, if Jenkins somehow starts uh, two parallel jobs uh, interacting with FPGA board, uh, nothing uh, good is going to happen. And uh, there are also problems with the runaway processes. And uh, for the example, it was the main problem. Because when you work with Sigwin, uh, 
uh, its uh, process management uh, differs from uh, what we have in common Linux and mm. common, uh, common yeah. Windows system. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, when we started uh, setting up uh, this framework in Jenkins, we discovered that uh, Jenkins is not very capable of terminating uh, Sigwin process trees. And actually, it's not a problem in Jenkins. Uh, it also happens in Team City. It also happens in uh, common scripts without any systems. But uh, when you want to set up a, a failure robust farm, so you set up uh, this uh, computer, this FPGA board, say, in a lab somewhere on a remote site, close to the door and forget about it. And Jenkins just runs. In such case, you cannot allow failures and... Um, yeah, um, it's a green process termination was a big problem because runaway process interacting with board is always horrible. So we implemented a new plugin for Jenkins, which uh, actually runs the green scripts to catch up the uh, green process trees and to uh, properly terminate them when Jenkins tried to terminate a parent uh, Windows shell process. So Jenkins allows to implement even such plugins. Uh, actually, this solution can be found as the green process killer plugin. Um, its internal design isn't very good, but it worked for our cases. Um, so this is an example of technical issue. And actually, I've spent more than one year handling different use cases of runaway processes, uh, uh, terminating cow instance and honestly uh, I didn't solve all issues so my uh, the new uh, uh, engineer responsible for my past Jenkins instance still has to handle particular cases and this is horrible but uh, nobody knows how to um, handle it with a guarantee on a bare metal instance so the general recommendation is to virtualize your setup as much as possible. So, for example, if you work with a hardware peripheral, you still can set up a virtual machine uh, with Windows or with Linux, with all drivers, which somehow uh, propagates uh, your USB ports with connections. Then you run this uh, unreliable task within this virtual machine. And when the task ends, uh, you just kill this machine and stop the new one from, from scratch. Okay. It, it causes particular overheads, but it's possible in, sometimes. But then you get into the problem with system environment because virtual machines are not equal to real operating systems. So there are particular issues, especially in drivers. And, and when you use... Uh, uh, hardware from different vendors, um, uh, you cannot just solve these issues. So it's uh, a very big part of any integration. And unfortunately, it, uh, there is no general advice how to solve it. But it's nice when you handle such issues. <laughs> yeah, okay. But wouldn't it, so one, one question popped up in my mind here. Wouldn't it be more simple or more easy to, to avoid this kind of Windows uh, systems where, or even, even worse, the Cygwin systems, uh, and simply replace it by some remote devices running Linux where you have much more control? Um, the problem is that, uh, so no problem to implement a right setup when you develop new automation flow. But uh, when you work uh, with uh, hardware embedded project, 
it's uh, commonly you come to a company which uh, has uh, its uh, legacy test frameworks uh, containing uh, millions code lines, etc. Uh, these uh, frameworks are implemented uh, in particular technologies. Uh, they depend on particular operating systems environment. So, and um, the right uh, solution, if you have infinite resources, obviously is to rewrite this solution and to make them more generic. But um, when you work uh, with continuous integration, you always have limited resources because it uh, never happens like it should be. Uh, so uh, the current approach uh, to continuous integration is to start continuous integration before you start implementing the product. So you start planning uh, the system, you preparing environment, etc. But in big companies, it never ha happens in such ways. So for example, project starts, uh, then uh, the, Somebody provides a design, says that you need these hardware peripherals. For example, this IP block is going to support these FPGAs and it's been is going to be used in these systems. And you need such setup for your continuous integration in order to run tests. Then you submit a budgeting request. It hangs for several months or several years. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and when you finally get the required infrastructure, you realize that uh, the project is very close to the closed down stage. So you need to set up all tests as soon as possible, and you just have to integrate these frameworks somehow. Uh, yeah, it's always a mess, um, and um, commonly in uh, continuous integration systems, you have to integrate, not to develop something from scratch. And it uh, definitely limits your opportunities. That's a good point here. To use this perspective to say your goal, your aim should not be towards developing new stuff, but to integrate or to reuse all the existing stuff and provide details for that. So that's a different approach, different perspective. In any area, we try to reuse approaches. So we use libraries and software development, IP blocks and hardware. And uh, yes, we use old automation frameworks when we stop new automation frameworks. Uh, of course, uh, such approach increases the technical depth sometimes, but uh, yeah, it decreases the development times and it's critical in order to decrease the time to market. And for new products, uh, time to market uh, the critical thing. So you can uh, de deliver bad product and you could, can uh, fix it later, even in hardware. But uh, if you deliver late, you lose the market and that's all. Oh, of course. You're dead. Yeah, I see. Very cool, very amazing, your your details and your, your tips here and also your perspective. Um, I just have had a look at the clock, at the watch here, and we are already talking more than one hour here. So it's really, that that simply simply drives us away here. Oleg, maybe one last question to you. What are, from your perspective, the most important three things one should take care for when using Jenkins? Okay, I'll try to answer briefly. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, the first thing that uh, you should consider Jenkins as an internal product and you should design it properly. So when you design a continuous integration system or automation system for your environment, it should be an internal product and you should be aware 
about it. The second point is that you should always uh, uh, test Jenkins instances, have uh, test instances, uh, and of course, uh, use uh, long-time support versions or custom forks in order to minimize the risk of update issues. And uh, the third recommendation is uh, to share the experience. Uh, in our area, unfortunately, there is not so much information and uh, all engineers suffer from it. So when you develop something for, for Jenkins, uh, don't hesitate uh, to write a blog post or to set up a presentation or short document describing what you've done, what if issues you seen and how did you solve them. So all this uh, information uh, becomes useful and um, it's very good to share the information. Unfortunately, we don't have so much meetups related to embedded systems. And, uh, regarding testing of embedded systems, uh, the situation is even more horrible. There are several big industrial conferences, uh, several uh, small meetups, but unfortunately there is no community in this area. And uh, this is uh, the problem. If there is someone in the audience who says, hey, that's interesting, I'm already doing stuff with Jenkins, but I, maybe I have also developed something, but I'm not mature about that. Maybe it's not mature enough for publishing or anything like that. What would you say to some person like that? Be encouraged to do it anyway? I Yeah, you can always set up a meetup or internal symposium. For example, in St. Petersburg, uh, we try to stop periodic Jenkins uh, meetups and uh, uh, the similar case in other cities. So currently, Jenkins community tries to sponsor local area meetup. Uh, I don't recall if there are any meetups in Germany right now, but there are, there are several ones in France. Uh, at least we are going to we try to stop one with uh, one in Munich. And such local meetups or probably company internal events uh, are good appro uh, good option to evaluate your approaches and uh, to discuss it with colleagues. And after that, of course, you can go to big conferences or to write uh, blog posts uh, and say, hey, see what I've done. What about if someone really wants directly co to contribute with his resources to Jenkins? Is there some kind of connection point, some kind of website or repository whatsoever? So regarding uh, Jenkins developers, uh, there is a Jenkins developer mailing list. Uh, I'll send you the link. And this is the main point for all discussions related to Jenkins. Um, so I wouldn't say that uh, there are pretty much discussions related to hardware, uh, but uh, yeah, they happen some sometimes as well. So you can always uh, send a message to Jenkins developer uh, mailing list or to Jenkins user mailing list and uh, to discuss uh, your use cases and uh, you commonly get a response. Okay, that's great. Okay, Alec, thank you very much for this interview. There was a tons of information, tons of uh, of interesting details here, and I'm I'm very happy with that you have found the time to join us today in this interview. Uh, I also appreciate this opportunity. <laughs> Unfortunately, there is not so much opportunities to uh, speak with hardware guys right now because uh, I still have uh, no disclosure agreements, etc., which limit uh, my opportunities to contact hardware companies. Uh, 
Um, at uh, CloudBees, I uh, provide much consulting uh, to hardware companies, uh, but yeah, there is not so much opportunities for public speaking and for information sharing in the community. So I appreciate any opportunity to do it. Yeah, and I I think what what I have seen with uh, with different um, let's say uh, different episodes of this podcast, we were forwarded inside of these companies. If someone was was interviewed, or if someone has has gotten aware of this interview or a particular interview, it was forwarded inside of the company, and we got a big burst of listeners due to simply that. Uh, that situation that there was some voice available providing details, providing information. Maybe this is again an opportunity also for hardware-oriented companies to get more information about Jenkins using this kind of episode as some trigger point. Uh, so regarding Jenkins community, I tried to stop something there like solution pages, etc. So probably uh, this information becomes more categorized and people understand that Jenkins is not about software in general. Yeah, okay. Great, Alec. Thanks a lot again and have a nice day. Uh, you too. So far, the interview with Aliak Nyanyashev. Aliak, thank you again for the interview. And to our audience, I wanted to encourage you to raise your questions or feedback to Aliak. Additionally, I have collected all the links mentioned in the episode within the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash Jenkins. Moreover, you find presentations by Aliak from the London Jenkins User Conference in June 2015 and the 2015 Jenkins Meetup in St. Petersburg in December 2015. Everything collected in the show notes. To reach out to Aliak, do not hesitate to visit his personal website and connect with his Twitter and LinkedIn accounts. Details also given in the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com. Thus, feel free to contact and connect with Alec to stay in touch with a brilliant person. By the way, if you have another great person in mind who should be interviewed, do not hesitate and drop me a message. I will, will give my very best to invite this one. Or if you have a question or proposal, I would be delighted to receive your feedback at embeddedsuccess.com slash feedback. That was the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. I will be back next time with another great episode. I'm Georg Lurer from Embedded Success. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.